podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all that thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Welcome back to episode 114. And you're probably the most featured guest, David. I think so. I've been what yeah. six, seven times. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. I might have to start giving you a fee. Um, <laughs> welcome back. We are. This week is more of an economical topic. That means long time guest David Bell's back. What's good, David? It's all good, man. How you doing? Yeah, good. I mean, I've left. Um, I've left the city, and now I'm just doing my own thing at home, trading and. Uh, Writing a newsletter, trying to trying to help people to to trade the right way. So, what's your newsletter called? Macrodesiac. So, um, it's basically focused towards the macroeconomic side of of, of trading, yeah. rather than looking at charts and uh, putting stupid lines across and yeah. all of that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, which is what most people tend to do on Twitter and stuff yeah. Like that. Um, and most retail traders they like to focus more on the technical aspect rather than. Kind what's of the difference at- between a retail trader and an institutional trader? Um, so pretty much the size of your account, okay. um, whether you've worked in finance for a specific time and the amount of trades that you've done. Okay. Um, really though, most people have access to the same information, um, unless you've got a Bloomberg terminal, which is like $2,500 a month. Um, it's 2000 I want to know how much it costs. Yeah, it's roughly that with all the add-ons and stuff like that. So yeah, it's about twenty twenty-four to $27,000 a year. Random question: If you had a Bloomberg access to Bloomberg terminal, terminal mm. would you think that make significant difference? It does. I mean, when I was working as a broker, I had it, um, and the data that you can get out of it is ridiculous. Mm. Um, but also, most people just use it for the chat function. Like, if you wanted to chat to anyone with another Bloomberg terminal in the world, you can just jump pretty on much it. just jump on it and just start a chat with them. Oh. And most, a lot of trades are done that way as well. Okay, of course. Okay, so. Referring back to Macrodesiac, how long have you been doing this for? I started it at the end of January. Yeah. Um, and so it's about, what, almost six months now, five, six months. It's going really well. Yeah, it really, is. Really, really well. It's um, and the feedback as well is, the, well, which is the most important thing for me. You're, like, you're a machine. I actually can't believe you write that much. Like, when you know, <laughs> I'm like, Shh, these guys, oh, why don't I have his work rate? You're a machine. <laughs> I mean, it's... You know, most of the time it's just ideas pretty much off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, and ideas that I think are going to work out well in the longer term. Yeah. And um, actually make some people some money. Yeah. Because that's the most important thing, thing in trading. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's, that's you know, is, is the outcome. Rather than just saying stuff and then, you know, it, it doesn't really proliferate into anything yeah. significant. Um, if people are making money and the subscribers are, that's all that matters to me. Okay, cool. So... Um, quick plug. So where can people get involved with Macrodesiac? Yep. So it's www.macrodesiac.com. Um, you can look at, there's some free content there that you can subscribe to. Send out a reading list maybe once, twice a week. Mm. Um, but there's also some other stuff that comes just automatically as well. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So I had to get the plugs out of the way. Um, <laughs> so people know what, what you're about. So we're talking the ECB and the Eurozone. Yeah. So... We hear a lot of stuff about Brexit. Mm-hmm. So here's a side to talk about part of the Eurozone from a macroeconomical aspect. 
So David, you can do the honours of describing to the listeners what the difference between the EU, which is the European Union, and the Eurozone. Yeah, so I just want to kind of um, base what I'm going to say going forward on the idea that the Eurozone isn't necessarily an economic project. It's been totally a political project. Yeah. Okay. Um, It's been been founded on centralising power from loads of different states into Brussels and Germany. Yep. Clear evidence for this is that if you look at when the euro was created in 1999, but became actual legal tender in 2002, the German uh, trade surplus literally shot up so much. Mm. It literally went and skyrocketed. At the same time, there's something called Target 2, which is the um, basically get a, a payment system throughout the eurozone. Okay. Now, Germany is owed 1 trillion euros from the southern European states. Why do you think that is? That's around 1 trillion euros. 1 trillion euros. It's roughly like 990 billion euros at the moment. Um, and it's purely because it's been a transfer of um, deficits. So they've put, they've essentially put the southern European states into deficit spending nations, and Germany has taken up all of the rest of it. Why do you think everyone talks about German manufacturing being so strong and all of this stuff? Well, because they're they're the ones that are benefiting. It's not these southern European states. So if we, I mean, we're going to go on to Greece and a few other states later, but Portugal, if you look at the unemployment in these in these nations, okay, they've been decimated purely because of Eurozone centralization, which is focused purely towards Western Europe and, and Germany. Yeah. So... It is, he's not lying, <laughs> but for the listeners, it's not even like, it's an agenda thing. Like if you do your own research, and obviously I want to post a lot of articles and links and information in the description. I like to give, I'm going to try to start giving the sources of what we talk about. Um, so in the Eurozone, there's currently 19 nations um, that have the Euro. And then there is their central bank known as European Central Bank, the ECB for short. Um, which was established in 1998. The president, um, David's best friend, um, Mario Draghi, and um, how it's set up in terms of structure and hierarchy, there's six members, an executive board, and then of course, for each each nation has a national governor. So in terms of talking about, we discovered, um, you discussed the southern countries in Europe that have basically been decimated. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, one of the biggest ones that, many people may know or may, may not know, is Greece. And don't get wrong, Greece were at fault. I'm going to discuss um, some of the areas they were at fault. But what's happened to Greece in the last decade has been pretty tragic. In terms of, they've been, I think they are the, they are the country that's um, experienced the longest period of recession out of any advanced um, economy, even longer than America and the Great Depression. At one point, they had a 50% youth unemployment rate, 25% unemployment rate. That's one in four, which is bizarre for a European nation. You have things that, at certain points, <laughs> the banks will say, listen, if you got over 800 euros, you might take a haircut mm-hmm. because we just need to survive. There were small humanitarian issues and hundreds of thousands of Greeks who are well-educated have actually left the country due to these um, issues. So... Um, what is your thoughts on Greece, on how it started, and the uh, the ECB slash Eurozone, however you want to describe it? 
um, so, handle of the situation. Yeah, so I think um, one thing that people need to get their heads around is that um, it's not governments ruining wealth. It's not governments creating um, poverty. It's not governments doing any of this stuff that you hear in the news. It's central banks. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Do you understand what central bank is in case there's new Islamist listeners? Yeah, so the central banks basically set the interest rates and they set the money supply in effect via interest rates. Um, if they cheapen money, then it makes it obviously cheaper to uh, lend and borrow. Um, but at the same time, you then get a misallocation of capital because that money becomes so cheap that people just like to just borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow. Yeah. Okay, and then if government policy, fiscal policy doesn't match up with the monetary policy adequately enough then yeah, it exacerbates the misallocation of capital problem even more. Um, the problem that we're facing at the moment is with negative real interest rates. Now, the ECB's deposit rate at the moment is minus 0.4%. That means that if you are depositing money into um, a European bank, you're automatically losing 0.4% of your money. Okay, And that's without even looking at inflation. Um and this is also a problem that's happened in the UK. People talk about savings and stuff like that, like especially young people. Yeah, They talk about savings a lot. But really, because of the real rate of interest, you're actually losing money if you just keep it in, in cash. a normal bank. Yeah. Because the bank shows you the nominal interest rate, they don't show you the real rate. Yeah. Okay? So this is why so many people are just invested. And this is why stock markets keep going up. Yeah. Because there's no risk-free rate of return, i.e. keeping it just in a bank. Yeah. So people are just pumping money into just crazy assets and it just keeps going up um, of course when when you have cheap money cheap capital mm -hmm. and you can borrow money that's also going to inflate asset prices as we've seen with housing for example exactly and that's what we've seen with housing over the last 30, 30 odd years since uh, 1983 yeah. when um, the mortgage backed security was created when land was securitized okay this is when we saw people because obviously land is fixed in supply yeah yeah. Um, if you start monetizing land in that way, where you can trade it and you can actually trade mortgages and stuff like that, then yeah, people are going to kind of pump into that into that asset class. Yeah, because um, the nature of the COVID's nature is fixed and supply. Absolutely, it's always going to be a level of guaranteed return over a period of time. Exactly. But if we go back to what the ECB is doing at the moment, um, there's a massive problem in the bond market at the moment. Where explain to listeners what a bond is. So a bond is basically, um, it can be a corporate bond, it can be a municipal bond, it can be a government bond. But essentially what you do is you buy it for the set price and then you receive a coupon for the maturity. So let's say, for example, I bought a 10-year German government bond at 1%. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would receive 1% of the price that I bought it for, for 10 years yes. until maturity and then receive the principal back as well. Yeah, so it's essentially an IOU with... with in the streets, we call it a drink on top. Yeah. That's so, what, um, so you're basically lending to the government. Yeah. And you're thinking, of course the government going to pay us back. Mm. It's the government. Absolutely. So that's the... But at the moment, this is the massive issue because um, I think the market is so distorted in terms of um, yields that what if, you know, Germany did decide to leave the Eurozone? What would happen to all those bondholders who have bought German bonds, for example, um... And, you know, it then just goes totally wrong for them. Because in my view, I think Germany is going to be the first country to leave the Eurozone. You reckon? Absolutely. Their target two balances, as I spoke about initially, yeah. are so big that other countries aren't going to be able to pay them back. Italy can't afford 466 billion euros to pay back 
Germany with. Yeah, because even Germ- Germany own um, the majority of, of Greek debt when I was looking at it. So Germany's... Yeah, I think um, a lot of... We'll go on to this as well. The German banks also do. Yeah. They've got a massive exposure to... And private investors in Germany as well. Yep, yep. Um, and, and German investors also own a lot of US treasuries as well, which is obviously another issue. Um, so going back to the, the, the reason why I think the market is so distorted is that um, US treasuries, 10-year treasuries... Oh, sorry, no, two-year treasuries are yielding less than Greek... Um, two-year treasuries. That's impossible. Greek is a much more Greece, riskier. Greece is a much bit has a much bigger default risk than the US does. So yeah. why are yields higher in um, sorry why are yields lower in uh, in Greece than they are versus the US? It's ridiculous. It yeah. Makes no sense. The market is totally fucked up. And you know, it, it, there's going to come a point where there's going to be a reset. Um, I've spoken about this in the newsletter that I write. Um, Macrodisiacs, by the way. <laughs> I think it's going to come um, with a massive problem with Chinese deflation and a corporate debt issue um, as well, which is going to fuck up central banks so much because, excuse me, if deflation does come, all of these policies that they've had for the last 10 years, QE, low interest rates right. to try and spur up inflation, it's going to, you know, it's going to go out the window. Because it's actually creating deflation instead, rather than inflation, you know. So how do you how do you then generate inflation? You can't. (laughs) You You can't. Yeah. You need to to get demand back up, you know. And demand is so flat at the moment. Um, It's it's really scary. Aggregate demand is just inflation expectations are at the lowest point ever. So for this, aggregate demand is when you take your consumption. So that's the stuff we, the goods and services that we purchase in the economy, um, government expenditure investments, and then your net, your balance of payments. So that's your export. So what you ship out of your country minus your imports. Yep. And so currently, as David said, it's it's looking pretty, it's looking pretty eager, I'd like to say. Yep. Um, I don't know why, every time we talk about macroeconomics on the podcast, it's very depressing. But um, Because it is. Because <laughs> the thing is, that, listen, the thing is, is that um, the focus is always on, um, I think, politics a lot. Right, what people most people look at is on politics and not what central bankers are doing. I've always said, literally, I think from the first time I was on the podcast, mm. I maintained that I was having a go at central bankers because they're the ones that are wrecking people's lives. And the thing with central bankers, yeah, is that now they've got so much power and influence over what happens, mm-hmm. and they're not. And it's not democratic because they're not, they're not, the people don't vote them in. They're not elected. No, they're not exactly. elected. The people don't vote them in. So for example, okay, um, Christine Lagarde is leaving the IMF. Yeah. It's actually do, you know, do you know who the top, um, the top candidate is to join the IMF? No. Mark Carney. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's about for the, <laughs> that, I don't even know that. So oh. one guy that wrecked the Canadian economy yeah. by keeping rates so low. Yeah. Has also wrecked the UK economy, economy. And, and lied over Brexit, over mm. all the forecasts and stuff like that. He was, no, that was that. No, that must have been external pressure, or he just has a he's totally, politi- totally politicized. He's a yes man. I wrote, yes about, man. I wrote about this yesterday in the, in the newsletter. He's a total fucking yes man. And <laughs> because his his um Brexit um I think I covered it in my autumn statement. His Brexit forecast was so wild and based off such little macroeconomic inf- um information. Yeah, for the governor of the. Bank of England. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, Andy Haldan 
apologised, didn't he, last, I think it was last January. He apologised for the Brexit forecasting. Um, and on that as well, the reason why their forecast was so, so shit is because they used the gravity model. So they considered trade of, they didn't consider that the world is really globalised now. Right. Which is extremely globalised. That's one of the issues. Absolutely. So, so they were saying that um, trade will falter because France, for example, is closer than China. How the fuck does that make sense? <laughs> That's literally what that—that that is literally their model, the gravity model. That's what they used. The politicians used it. All the civil servants used it. It's ridiculous. You can send a ship over to China that will take maybe a week. Okay, really, really cheap to send send um, export and import goods. Right, or you can fly a plane. It takes what less than a day. Yeah, why? Do, why the fuck does it matter if you're closer to the it's country 20, that you're delivering it's to? Twenty nineteen technology and transportation links are so so amazing now. I remember back in the day, to order something from the USA on eBay, you don't even know where it's gonna come. Mm. Like you get stuff within within a week. And look, before before um before we had um, specific trade deals with the with the EU or free trade or whatever, we used to import our lamb from New Zealand. And that was years ago. Mm. So why the fuck are they going and reverting back to all these stupid models where they don't actually matter whatsoever in this day and age? Stupid. It's, they have um, no, obviously they have to no manipu- clue. To manipulate the forecast. Exactly. To manipulate exactly. the opinion of people. Exactly. And it's, it's not fair because this is how people then... Um, are kind of fed such massive uh, disinformation about things. Um, and they become ignorant or they become, maybe not ignorant, but they become uh, very emotional about certain things rather than actually looking at the facts. And then when they do look at the facts, they're faced with cognitive dissonance and then yeah. they get angrier, you know? It's not fair because these are coming from reputable, apparently, people. And it's difficult. That's why I started Dysonomics and probably why you've... Been writing, you've been writing stuff known you actually, to be fair, on LinkedIn mm. and everything. Because you kind of need people to help you filter this information. If you're just, um, I don't know, the average baker, how are you going to know that Mark exactly. Carney's chatting shit about, exactly. <laughs> about a Brexit forecast? Like, Absolutely. Oh, the, bank, the chairman of the bank of, the governor of the Bank of England said, Brexit's a terrible idea. Brexit's a terrible idea. Mm. So it's mad in that, it's mad in that case. So back to Greece. Um, what were we yep. talking about Greece? Uh, we're talking about... So we'll, we'll talk about Greece in, in this context as well. Um, in the fact that I think you mentioned earlier that um, it was the Greeks' fault as well. Partially, obviously, because they, yep. cook, they cooked their books, but I saw that everybody. Yeah, well, they did cook their books, but with help from Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs helped Greece hide a shitload of their debt mm. via swaps and, and different kind of um, financial arrangements. Because I was... Um... So if you look at things like 2009, they had like a forecast for, the, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, for their um, deficit. Mm-hmm. And then the actuals came obviously the year later mm. and it was double, mm. double what they actually had. But um, people may be thinking, okay, cool. So a country in the, that's a member of the Eurozone, mm-hmm. essentially committed some form of fraud. Why didn't anybody come down and harden them? Because Germany and France were also operating in deficits above the required level and they did not want to put austerity measures on themselves so they allowed, yeah. they allowed the Greeks to crack on yeah I mean uh, not, not so much Germany Germany were running a surplus but, um, um, when I was reading this is two for, back in 2000 uh, oh maybe maybe pre-Eurozone yeah maybe um, but Germany's definitely run uh, a surplus uh, since so since then. and also um, when you look at um, sorry 
Hold on, I lost my trailer for what are we talking about just now? Germany and France and... Oh, yeah. So, when you look at what's happened to Greece and you... And you obviously, different... Um, the, the interesting thing about macroeconomics is that different countries are different culturally mm. and that was also implement... Um, or that also impacts the policies they run. For example, Sweden is different culturally to the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. You're going to have two different welfare policies, two different taxation policies. Yeah. Gre- in Greece... One fifth of the population is over the age of sixty-five. Mm-hmm. So, what do people over such age of sixty-five tend to claim? Pensions. So, pensions mm-hmm. is a very, very important um, thing. I think pensions is like seventeen point five percent of their GDP, which is higher than any other country in the eurozone. Yeah, and they underfund it by nine percent, mm-hmm. higher than any other country in the eurozone. I think the next highest is like three percent. One of the big issues with they. Then when obviously um, the recession, I mean, not the recession, the austerity measures come in, one of the first things, obviously, the Germany and Brussels essentially just said, you've got to sort out this um, state pension, which damages so many families in Greece because half of them, half of the, um, the households in Greece actually rely on it. Rely on it. Yeah. Rely on it. Um, and I think it's insane how, I've never been a fan of austerity personally. I think austerity is terrible. I think it's saying how they impose, well, we know why they impose this level of austerity measures on Greece, but it just essentially just crippled the country for, they're still fairly crippled, but for like a decade. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the the actions taken by the likes of the IMF and and the ECB on when it, in regards to, to the Greeks? Yes, I mean, the, the IMF actually said um, that the ECB and um, the, the EU had gone way too hard Greece. Mm. Um, that was literally what what their their statement was. Yeah, cool. yeah they, were, they were way too harsh. Um, do you think um, quickly? Do you think the Greeks should have just ditched the euro and, and went back to the drachma? Um, no, because I don't think that they were. I think they did need a bailout in in a certain context. Um, however, I feel that Cypras, who was the you know the the new leader that they mm-hmm. they elected, was way too weak. Yeah. Um, he kind of went back on what his promises were. Yeah, I remember that. They um, were fuming. Yeah, and um, I feel now they're they're just very despondent and they're just kind of used to it now. Yeah, you know, it's it's quite sad. It's kind of come out the news <coughs> news cycle as well. Exactly. Um, but I I also think that the the. the this this thing about austerity, okay, um, really, really needs to be looked at a little bit more in terms of actual numbers. Mm. People talk about austerity in the UK, right? Government spending has gone up year on year since 2008, right? Because people just hear cuts. They hear cuts. Relative to what the Labour government did, okay, yes, it's gone down because Labour spent so much. They were over the EU's spending limit. So you can't be pro-EU, okay, and then be anti some of their some of their laws. And when, you know, um, a government, the next government has to cut back, you can't scream austerity because it's against, you the know, EU the, regulations. it's against the EU regulations. Now, the EU are allowing France to do it at the moment. And I wonder why, because they fucking love France and Germany <laughs> and Belgium because they're total wankers. But... Um, when you when you when you then see okay a chart of Greek government spending, it literally looks disgusting. It's gone down year on year, okay. Mm. But no one wants to cry austerity about there, mm. okay. No one at all. 
It's the same with Italy, right? No one wants to do these, these things over here. It's so fucking emotional and people don't like to look at fact at all. Okay, so when I hear about austerity here, yes, there's been cuts. Yes, certain issues are totally apparent here and I totally get that. But please stop being hypocritical, right? Please, it's ridiculous. Do you think people being hypocritical or they're just being ignorant? I don't care. Listen, okay. Hypocrisy and ignorance are kind of hand in hand, yeah. right? If you don't feel like going out and looking at the real issues out there, okay, but yet you want to have an argument about something that is closer to home, yet it's the same argument that is over there, but yeah. you support then that institution that, that is uh, committing these things against them. What's the difference between the EU doing it to Greece and the, um, and, and the Tories doing it to sense. people here? Yeah. They're both abhorrent, okay? However, the facts are totally different in both situations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with you um, with that. Um, I'll, I'll, should I tell you one quick thing I hate, yeah? Yeah. When people say, oh, the magic money tree, hundred huh, people. Right. There's, there's a thing called budgets mm-hmm. and every department has a budget. Exactly. So just because you heard they spent something, oh, they just bought these new new um, warships. There is a defense budget exactly. allocated for them to spend on defense. Anytime they spend money, don't mean they're just whipping money out of their pockets. Yeah. Sometimes, okay, cool. You like thinking, hmm, I thought you didn't have no money, but there's budgets for every single segment, sub or sub segment. You got, um, you got education, you got welfare, you've got, um, you got defense, you've got, um, healthcare. All different types of um, different budgets. Yeah. Okay. So stop saying there's a magic money tree. There's different budgets for different things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So just... oh, well, there is one kind of counter to that though, and that does come from the central banks again. Mm. Okay, if you we were talking about um, inflation um, earlier and how inflation expectations are so low at the moment, which they are, they're rock bottom. Mm. Um, that's based on CPI though, which is obviously a basket, basket of goods, yeah, goods for the everyday person. Yeah. If you look at the bond market, if you look at the stocks, if you look at housing, these asset prices... Totally inflated, right? So that's where the real inflation is. Now note that people don't use RPI anymore. Yeah, price index, yeah. Right? Why do you think that is? Because then that would be totally counter to what the Bank of England are trying to do. Yeah. They they want to inflate this more. So if they actually see that the RPI is too high, which it fucking must be, because house prices are through the roof, and I mean, they're kind of dipping now, but um, that would mean they'd have to raise interest rates to get that rate of inflation back lower. Oh, uh, sorry, that, yeah, that rate of yeah, inflation. I was, I was low, trying you know? to look at the difference. Um, no, keep talking. I was going to see what I... But um, yeah, so there's there's inflation for asset holders, but not inflation for the little guy, which means that um, the Bank of England can keep lowering interest rates. And the sa- it's the same around the world. Fed, ECB, whatever. It doesn't matter which um, which central bank it is. Um, I mean, the Bank of Japan now owns 79% of the ETF market. So the exchange, exchange traded fund funds. market. Um, Wait, so what percent? 79%. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. What? Yeah, 79% of it. Okay, so... Hold on, so they're basically propping up the market themselves just so investors don't lose confidence. That's actually bonkers. Hold on. Okay, mm-hmm. so CPI... Um, I really should have got this before, but it's your fault for bringing it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, your price index, 2019. Hold on, where is it? Just give me it in a chart. <laughs> okay, yeah, so obviously the RPI is considerably high, like almost one, almost yep. 2% higher. Sorry. 
But um, yeah, where, where were we again? It was 2% higher, just so. Yeah, like almost 2% higher. Yeah. So the Bank of England's target rate of, of inflation is 2%. Yeah. So if it's 2% higher, then they'd have to lower, they'd have to raise interest, interest rates. rates. But they don't want to because they know that the asset prices are going up. Yeah. And that's what they want to do. They just want to keep inflating it. Because if they were to now raise interest rates to a certain point, it'd mean that all of their quantitative easing measures over the last 10 years would just go to fucking shit. Quickly. Okay, let's just break some stuff out. So, okay, interest rate, we don't want that. Quantitative easing, explain to listeners what um, QE is. So QE is basically the measure of um, a central bank buying specific assets in an economy to increase the money supply when interest rates can't really go any lower. So there's something called a liquidity trap, um, which means that if interest rates go too low, then there's no difference between holding bonds or cash. Um, and that basically means that, you know, um, there's no there's no stimulation in the economy going on. Um, so yeah, they then tend to just go into the market, buy corporate debt, they might buy government bonds. They might buy loads of different stuff. Stocks even sometimes. Mm. The Fed's been doing in the Swiss National Bank. It's a different story. I won't talk about that now. It's a little mm. bit complex. But um, yeah, they, they basically pump money in. But the, the funny thing about when a central bank buys government bonds is that they're essentially paying interest to the treasury. Yes. So it's government debt cancelling when that um, bond rolls over. Or, it's sorry, clever no, mathematics. Sorry, not rolls over. Matures. It's clever mathematics. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's total fucking bullshit. But... So it's, it's, it's interesting because we've probably covered this like almost every pod we do. So when people talk about, oh, the, yeah, the Tories said that they were going to cut the deficit, but the, the like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is from, it's from the central bank. Yeah, it's all the central bank stuff. It's all central bank. It's not like, oh, the Tories are out here, you know, okay, cool, we're going to spend 500 billion on, I don't know what the Tories, I don't know what Tories like. I mean, you could... And trucks. They, they, the government, if the government were to sp just... Um, kind of ask the central bank to spend money and then, um, sorry, to print money and then they go and spend it, then that would be highly inflationary. Mm. This is what um, MMTers want to do, modern monetary mm. theorists want to do. And they're so fucking dangerous and delusional that I can't get my head around why I haven't blocked every single one of them on Twitter. But, you know, um, if it does get through, which it never will because it's the most ridiculous idea ever, it will, it will just cause Armageddon. But... Fucking one Armageddon and they won't be able to do it again, will they? Yeah, it's true. But then you've got the blowbacks and the rest of everybody else and who tends to bail out the institutions where they crash is always going to be the taxpayer, mm. which is a massive kick in the teeth until we start complaining. Um, okay, I want to still talk about um, central banks. We want to talk about it. Okay, let's talk about, a bit about Brexit. Um, how up to date are you with Brexit? I don't really care anymore. I, yeah. just, I just want to leave like, and just get a Because get I was thinking, it. I haven't covered Brexit for a minute, yeah? And then all the people, like, obviously, you know, you, you have certain people on your timeline that might just tweet random shit. Some people tweet about sports, some people stuff. Like, even the people I follow, like, um, from just finance world, nobody talks about Brexit anymore. It's boring. It's everybody's boring got, everybody's it's so got Brexit boring. fatigue. Like, it's like, just leave. Like, it's been three, it's like, it's been fucking three years. People three voted years. for it. Yeah, it's past three years. What, past June, just June 22nd? June 20, 29th. 29th. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 2016 it's, it's three years like, what I don't understand is why everybody's so against a no deal exit because they don't understand fucking anything that's why <laughs> I said why is a no deal exit that bad because they, listen in the government okay it's run by civil servants who some of them might have EU pensions 
some of them might, you know, be looking for a, a Brussels job or something mm. like this. So they, they, they wouldn't want a no deal. Why would they? Mm. Which is fair play to them, but they're still cunts. <laughs> it's true. As I say, um, incentive drives behaviour. There's some lords, right, sitting in the House of Lords that are on massive EU pensions. It's ridiculous. Just the public sector pensions in themselves are nuts, that's what you think about it. Yeah. That's why some people go into it. Honestly, I think some of these people need to live in the real world a little bit more mm. and actually go out and speak to people without, or, you know, just uh, not be a politician for the whole of your fucking life mm. and live in the Westminster bubble. Yeah. You know, I have absolutely nothing against people having different opinions, but when they're just totally devoid of any kind of... Um, rationale. Rationale or even a desire to understand a different point of view... Mm. Or um, or a want to, you know, let the public have what they voted for. You know, we we didn't we didn't vote for a specific deal it, on the ballot paper. It said, "Do you want to leave the EU or do you want to remain?" It's it's pretty straightforward. Um, a lot of people's arguments are um, people didn't really know what it meant. It's quite confusing. Should What's we do matter? another referendum? What do you think about doing another referendum? If you did, if we did another referendum, do you think what do you think will be the? Why don't we go and have another um, vote on um, the Lib uh, the Lib Dem and Tory coalition when when um, Nick Clegg said that he would get all tuition fees gone? Yeah, man. Um, do you know what you man? I can't even lie. I'm trying to be. In power, so we're just gonna spin around the block and reverse that. Not that I literally not that I, you know, agree with tuition fees going away, but why don't we go and have a vote on everything where a politician's lied? Yeah. You know, why don't we go back to nineteen ninety two when we didn't even have a vote in the fucking EU? <laughs> why don't we go back and vote on that? Which is pretty much what we've done. We didn't get a vote on Maastricht or anything like that. It's mad. What what the worst thing about what people are not really taking in about this Brexit process is that what everybody's liberating now is just the divorce settlement, really. And what happens afterwards in terms of, okay, where do we go from now? It's still yet to come. So it's a proper royal, 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 royal effort, really. And to the point where nobody even reports it anymore. Mm. That's mad. Mm. That's mad. Three years, nobody reports it. Like, we're still about. <laughs> we're actually still about. But now... We have diminished um, sovereignty and power because we're still technically within the EU, but we don't have the same type of sway. So, what we do, we're just in like a limbo area, no man's land, just like back back in the world wars, no man's land. That's what we're yeah, at now. But at the same time, you know, um, I personally don't see the EU being able to to last in its current form at all. And people might then say, oh yeah, won't we stay in reform? No, we've tried to reform many, many times. Yeah, there's been e so many different And the forms. EU just blows it back in your face and uh, they don't let you do what, what countries want. Remember what uh, Guy Verhofstadt said, right? He said, why aren't these countries giving us their sovereignty? Like, it's a fucking country. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a political block. You're not a country. Yeah. You total wanker. <laughs> Seriously, grinds my Fucking tits up, man. Yeah, speaking about sovereignty. So, for example, um, in terms of, as you said at the top of the pod, um, it's really about centralising power in Brussels, essentially. Mm. So, when things are going to tits up for Greece, usually when things go tits up in the country, um, central banks, again, back to them, they print money, try to get some stimulation. Greece couldn't do that because <laughs> that decision... is in Brussels. Yeah, well, it's in Berlin at the ECB. ECB, ECB. You know, they, they don't... Know the, 
countries in the Eurozone have their own central banks, but they don't have the capability to be able to control their own monetary policy, obviously, because they have they have uh, Euro, yeah. the Euro currency, um, yeah. which is controlled by by Mario Draghi and the governing council at the ECB. Yeah. Um, which is totally wrong because you can't match fiscal and monetary policy exactly. that way. So there's Would total, you, it's total misallocation of capital. Yeah, it's stupid. Um, okay, so yeah, a bit depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's what it is. Yeah, a bit of You know, there's a, there's who says that we aren't in in a recession already? That's what I think. I think we're 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 in the midst of of one already, even though there's not um, GDP. There's not a GDP recession. There's a massive earnings recession at the moment. Oh yeah, that's facts. And um, you know that's 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 starting to show in in um, a lot of the the US um, firms at the moment, um, and also in Europe, especially with the banks. Mm. European banks are totally fucked. Mario Draghi said the other day, oh, he was wondering as to why um, as to whether negative interest rates would um, lessen bank profitability. Well, of course they fucking will. You can see it. <laughs> You know, um, if you look at the, the Bund yields, they match Deutsche Bank's stock price perfectly. That's mad. Deutsche Bank's, for you don't know, have been... And matches the euro dollar as well. You said to me before the podcast, you wanted to talk about, this is a quick segue from macroeconomic Armageddon into more positive... Yeah. Making it. money, <laughs> being an online business. So... You are David, aka Mr. Macrodisiac. Yep. So, from the comfort of your um, penthouse in Canary Wharf. No, he doesn't live in the penthouse <laughs> <No>. Canary Wharf. <laughs> Before I get people trying to rub you. Um, from the comfort of your of your lovely abode, you have been now, um, you have managed to monetize your following. You've always had a good following, even though the streets try to get you out of here a couple of times. Mm. Keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Keep respawning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, explain to the listeners some of the things that may that you have done has enabled you to monetize the platform that you managed to create for yourself? I mean, I've, um, you know, I've, al- I've always made sure that I'm not a pure finance speaker online. You know, I always make sure that I speak about different topics, but also give, in my view, um, pretty good insights into the markets and stuff. Because I think that if, you, if you're just a constant stream of just one type of content... Yeah, people get a bit bored. You get so bored. Yeah. You know, and some people complain at me like that. They're like, oh, just do economic stuff. And I'm like, no, that's not me. Yeah, you want to talk you about know, my United. I, I talk about whatever I want. And I if you don't United. like it, you don't have to follow me. Yeah, I hate when people try to say, just talk about this. Shut oh, up, black. Go away. Leave me alone. Some person goes to me, I prefer your economics tweets over your football tweets. Guess what? I prefer if you shut your mouth, <laughs> you fat imbecile. Get out of here. It's true, though. <laughs> um, but I've always, um, I've always written... Um, my ideas down. I've I've had a you know a crap WordPress website before <laughs> that I just did myself and um, uh, what was the other one Blogger and stuff like that. But I've always made sure that and on I, LinkedIn you used to post a lot quite a lot on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn I, I did a lot on. Um, I've built I've built a good network on LinkedIn um, in terms of people I you know can just go for a for a drink with and just talk about the markets or don't talk about the markets mm. whatever. But mm. you know there's some of them are pretty high profile and and um, they 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 work in different banks and hedge funds and whatever, mm. um, but I think it's all about being able to understand your audience and connect with them. Mm. Um, if you have that, people trust you, and the second that you have someone's trust is when you are able to sell to them. That's the first bit, but then it's all about the results afterwards. So, so then, stage one, develop trust. 
develop trust and um, develop an audience that um, the smallest viable audience that you can sell to. So you're not looking to mass market anything. I'm not looking to mass market Macrodisiac. If I have a thousand subscribers by the end of next year, I'll be fucking so happy. You're going to have a thousand next year. I am 100% robbing you. Because <laughs> I know how much of it is. I'm robbing you. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, go on. Um, so it's all about finding that initial audience and um, really understanding the audience implicitly. So what they want. Um, how they want it. And exactly how they want it. And also tweaking stuff as you go. But if you have that initial audience, you can sell anything. And look, I set it up with zero, zero pounds. It's just the content that I had and the ability to write stuff and produce content that people trusted and could actually action ideas from. Um, Now, you could probably do the same with, I don't know, selling anything. Like, as long as you honestly have that draw from a crowd... Yeah, I'm doing the news that I just need to get my hat together. I'm just being a bit of a lazy You're done, guy. honestly. Um, and all the other bits come after. Mm. You know, just just do it. Like, if you have an idea... Execute. Online, just just do it. Just find a way just to get it started. Even if, you know, it doesn't work for a month, two months. Just keep plugging away at it. Mm. I mean, for me, it worked for it straight away because I was very lucky that I had an audience straight away from my Twitter that, mm. that did trust me. Yeah. But you've earned that trust over the exactly, years. Exactly, over, over... So you always had, you yeah, always had yeah, yeah. similar... Uh, screen names so even if you lose your account and get, get it back up yeah. like and people people have actually seen you as somebody okay cool this person knows what the hell he's talking about yeah I like to think I do yeah. and I, I think I think that is where I've, I've really really built a lot yeah of, so that's that, that, that is where that is um that is around so yeah definitely like I want our generation to understand that yeah when it comes to getting a property ladder we are completely and utterly screwed mm-hmm. like everything's against us and I've got a podcast on that so check that out but there is some certain advantage of us being born in this era is that with the ability to be online, literally, you can set up a shop on your phone. Mm-hmm. You can produce content on your phone, on your iPad or whatever tablet or computer you have. And you don't have to open a shop. Because when you open a shop, especially in this place called London. It's too expensive. <laughs> how much is it on average per square foot? I can't remember I the time. Know, but it's just ridiculous. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So... You don't, have to, you don't have to have overhead costs. So currently your overhead costs is the same cost you'll be paying if you didn't do it because yeah. you're paying for your internet. I mean, I've got a marketing agency now. Okay. I pay, pay each month. Okay, you're coming up um, in the world. All right. Yeah, which is still pretty hefty. But <laughs> Yeah, but you need to know how to market though. Well, I don't know how to market. All I know, all I know is how to do the content. And That's like yours, you know, like the same as me. That's, that's their speciality. I stick with mine. It's yeah. kind of like cost savings almost, you know. If yeah. I try to learn how to market and stuff, it's inefficient. I'd, I'd be wasting time on, on the content. It's inefficient. That's yeah. it. That would be diseconomies as well. Like, um, yeah, you're 100% right. Um, what would you say some of the bad practices you've seen for other people um, trying to establish or who already have like an online business platform? Um, well, this is one from me personally and it's um, providing providing discounts. Um, I... I think that if you provide discounts, you sully your brand. And a few people did say to me, and I respected exactly what they said to me and I took it on board. I haven't done it again. But um, I think that if there's constant discounts, and um, this is something that I was doing wrong, I think. Even though I did bring money in, I still think it kind of sullied mm. what I was doing a little Prestige bit. Prestige of what you're doing. Rather than giving, you know, um, keeping it at full price and then providing like something free on top. Yeah. Rather than doing that I was providing the discounts and I, I yeah I think that is that is a big issue um, especially with kind of like Instagram brands you see like oh yeah 20% off whatever yeah. but then if you see that every single week you got to feel like, what's going on here yeah 
it's like it's not really a discount, is it? That's your just your full price. Yeah, You're just trying to trying to kind of market it just yeah. to yeah, just 100%. to get me in. Do you know what I mean? Um, maybe as well, bad customer service. I see a lot of um, issues with kind of Twitter brands and and stuff like that. And there's complaints. You know, you never want a complaint online mm. because the second that someone sees a complaint online, they're like, why? Yeah. Why Why am I going to go and then buy yeah. from you if, if this person didn't like it? And especially when I see people react badly to others. Yeah. Sometimes I call people a cunt, um, but I'm probably in my due right to because they firstly <coughs> haven't tried the product, but then they're slating me for it. It's like... No, don't be too to this, yeah. Exactly. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you tried something and the shit, then yeah, slate them. Yeah, 100%. But... If you haven't tried it, don't slate someone. But um, yeah, I think customer service is a big one. I always make sure that I try to reply to emails literally in 15, 20 minutes. Like it just pops up on your phone. Normally it's not a big issue and you just do one, two lines and just make sure someone's happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think those two things, discounts and customer service are, are two big, big issues that I see. Yeah, I think um, obviously difficult because of, um, especially speaking to our demographic, people we know, we're all quite young and still learning. So you, you might have a talent where we're pre- able to produce content or create a product or provide a service. We have the talent to actually, for the product, but the business services around it is where we probably lack uh, due to experience. Yeah, there's business acumen. Yeah. Um, and I think it's almost like, don't don't run before you can walk. You know, mm. take it a little bit slower yeah. rather than... Um, really trying to dive in and just um, take try and take over the whole world, you know? Mm-mm. Find that small viable audience and then just hammer away at it and really, really find out what that key audience, um, well, what that smallest viable audience wants. What are their key issues? Because I'm sure there's more people out there with the same issues. And then you just keep finding them and keep churning and churning and growing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, definitely, I think if you're definitely running a business, custom service is so important because we, we are... Almost everybody I'll say will have one, at least one brand that they're loyal to. Mm. And that's because of good experience, good product or service. And when there's an issue, the way they're handled as well. So if you have an issue with an Amazon delivery, it's handled sickly. Yeah. That's why I keep using Amazon. Mm-hmm. Had issues with eBay stuff. eBay was a bit, mm. I stopped using eBay. PayPal issues a bit, mm. Mm. I avoid using PayPal now. Yeah, I'm never using PayPal ever again. Like, do you, do you use them as part as um for uh, a means to collect payments for your business? Yeah, so I use Stripe yeah. mainly, but it's PayPal or just fucking PayPal has blocked F- my account for PayPal no has done it to my boy when he had a book. He had a, he had um, his book was coming out, mm. so he got mad orders because he's been working so hard. PayPal just f everything up. It's ridiculous, my my brother it? had like a business on it, f it up, and the influencers that are getting paid. They, I don't know what's wrong in them. I don't know what it is, but yeah, they they don't have a very good reputation for me um, and the people I know. Um, yeah, so customer service is really important. So when you have an issue, how you handle it, the speed you handle it, the manner you handle it, is so, so important. Mm. So if you're having issues, even if you think the person is maybe taking the biscuit, try to handle it the best way you possibly can. No, if, they're, if, they're compl- if they're being disrespectful, then I can understand people like, mm. like you see sometimes, like you call them a cunt. That's because they, they, they've asked for it. That's yeah. it. I don't believe the customer's always right if they've been a cunt. Like, do they can hold? Customer's almost never right. Yeah, that's that's the funniest thing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, but you just don't want, 
especially because we've seen so many people try to launch a platform over beyond Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, mm. and they've been had terrible customer service. They get branded an Instagram business or a Twitter business. You don't want it to happen to your own. No, so don't fall into the same traps as those people have. No. Be professional. Don't cut corners when you're doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? Be open. If there's an issue, be open. That's exactly it. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm not sure how much time we've got left. Three minutes. Yeah, a few minutes. So, um, do you want to plug anything? Well, we've plugged Macrodesiac. Where, 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 where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, Macrodesiac underscore. Macrodesiac underscore. And do you do you any other LinkedIn or do you don't want anything? I use LinkedIn, just David Bell. David Bell. Okay. And I'm surprised you'd have a podcast. Yeah. I'm surprised you'd have a podcast. I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure. It's just the monetization of it. That's what I look for straight away. Yeah. I have to find someone. I'm, I'm To be fair, I'm going to be starting at Core Finance doing videos. Oh, is it? Yeah, the week after next. Oh, sweet. That's nice. Called Macrodesiac. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's not my It's not my brand though. But yeah, it's going to be called that. So I'm just going to put that on video on oh, nice. newsletters and stuff like that. Okay. Well, I'll be waiting for still. We'll make sure to check that out. Uh, David, thanks again. Nice Welcome. one. Always a pleasure, eh? Yeah. We'll probably link up again at some point in the future. Let's kind of start to each other now. Um, <laughs> um, listeners, don't forget to check out Macrodesia. Even if you're not willing to pay subscription, think about it though. Yeah, there's uh, free stuff. There's there. free stuff there. And definitely check out his Twitter and his... Um, even if you... There is a lot more technical than maybe my podcast. But trust me, you'll start to get the grips of it. It's definitely worth our information. And I'm sure you could tweet him asking questions you could tweet me if you're very very nice um, <laughs> of course make sure you this is going to be on YouTube so make sure you subscribe on YouTube like come on like, there's loads of you that subscribe to me on all platforms and I've got like not enough YouTube subscribers you're not taking the piss so subscribe <laughs> yeah like come on don't, don't, don't leave your boy hanging subscribe on YouTube uh, what else obviously Spotify SoundCloud Apple Podcasts and also spread the word tell your friends tell your friends about Macrodesiac tell your friends about Dysonomics and until next week peace Podcast Network.